Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Thank You, Liberia, Ecumenical Gratitude for Works of Service, and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, August 6, 2006. Last month, I traveled to Monrovia, Liberia to attend an HIV-AIDS workshop for healthcare workers conducted by Global Strategies for HIV Prevention. Liberia is a failed state that The Economist magazine identified as the single worst place in the world to live in 2003. Life expectancy at birth is 39 years. Literacy for women is 40%. Employment stands at 80%. Since 1980, civil wars have slaughtered over 200,000 citizens and displaced another 1 million out of a population of only 3 million. First under the despot Samuel Doe, then second under the psychopath Charles Taylor in competing warlords, rebel factions, and drug-crazed gangs of children wielding AK-47s. While we were there, we learned that people in the city fled to the country, passing columns of people in the country fleeing to the city, everyone carrying their mattress on their head. The psychology of fear due to indiscriminate killings dictated that any place seemed safer than where you were. Even today, the United Nations maintains about 18,000 peacekeepers in Liberia. Except for private generators and private wells, Monrovia has no water, no electricity, and no garbage. Garbage collection. Around town, piles of garbage and sewage rot under the relentless summer sun. In January 2006, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf was inaugurated as the first freely elected woman head of state in the history of Africa bringing at least a glimmer of hope to a ravaged nation. But if that's all you knew about Liberia, you'd have a very distorted picture of the country. Thank God for the Christians in Liberia who, according to one of our hosts, provide about 75% of the country's health care and education. Just to think of the new friends that I made while there makes me feel small, and it fills me with awe and gratitude. With remarkable joy, patience, perseverance, and resourcefulness, they embody the words of the Apostle Paul from the reading in Ephesians this week. As each part of Monrovia's diverse community performs works of love for the common good, I honestly believe that they hold together their entire country. Ephesians 4:16. Dr. Lily Sanvey of St. Joseph's Catholic Hospital hosted our four-day workshop on HIV prevention and treatment. Lily is the only woman surgeon in her country of three million people. In addition to hosting us, performing surgeries, serving as medical director for the entire hospital, answering her two cell phones, stopping in the hallways to respond to patients, fixing the generator so we could run the fans, replacing a blown fuse, 
chauffeuring our team to and from the airport, answering our endless stream of questions, escorting us to do souvenir shopping, and hauling dishes out of her tiny apartment every day to serve tea at 10 a.m. and then lunch at 2 p.m. for 50 people. Amidst this flurry of activity, Lily exuded a spirit of quiet confidence, patience, and kindness. Dr. Sanby also organized our off-site visits to learn about other HIV programs in and around Monrovia. Our visits included three Catholic programs. In Monrovia's densely populated slum called West Point, we visited Star of the Sea Health Clinic. They have electricity only three days a week for four hours a day, but they still offer competent and caring basic health care for those who otherwise would have nothing. At the Mother Pattern College of Health Sciences, Sister Barbara, famous for wearing a bulletproof Kevlar vest during the war, and Sister Thera Leela from Sri Lanka showed us their volunteer counselor and testing course, their medical technicians in white lab coats, library, offices with computers, job training school, and food distribution program. But among the Catholic saints, I have to say that my favorite stop was the Sisters of Charity's Hospice for the Destitute and Dying. They have similar hospices in over a hundred countries. The words painted on their gate tell the real story, thanks to people there like Sister Felixina. Hope and love, it read. Thank God for the Catholics and for their works of service. We piled into our van and our driver, Usu Jelo, took us to the Lutheran headquarters, thanks in part to one of their counselors named Jusu Gowa, who attended our workshop. Their program manager, Wono Ki Deranomi, spoke at length about their comprehensive HIV AIDS outreach, including centers where people can get a free HIV test, and their one-year course for certification in volunteer counseling and testing. Wono also taught me a new acronym. She volunteered that she had a special interest in mother-to-child prevention of HIV. Do you want to know why? She asked with a sparkle in her eye. You see, I am PLW HIV, a person living with HIV. Thank God for Jusu, Wono, and all of librarians, Liberia's Lutherans in their works of service. Another workshop participant, Edward Borlow, introduced us to the Association of Evangelicals of Liberia, a federation of 300 local churches across the country. Their soft-spoken program officer for relief and development, D. Emmanuel Williams, was a Christian of unvarnished candor, compassion, and realism. We crowded into his tiny office and as he spoke, the surf of the Atlantic Ocean pounded away just outside his window that had bars but no glass. Said Emmanuel, when it comes to HIV AIDS, we still battle the problems of stigma, silence, ignorance, and apathy. People are reluctant to get tested. We've experimented with outreach efforts like seminars and conferences. Some of it 
some have succeeded and others have failed. Almost none of our pastors are paid adequately, so they must work second jobs to feed their families. So they're busy and overworked, and we've found that it works best when a group of individuals in the church takes up the cause of HIV-AIDS. Plus, we're always grateful to cooperate and coordinate with Christians from across the denominational spectrum. Thank God for Liberia's evangelicals and for their works of service. These Christian healthcare workers battle enormous odds. Electricity is sporadic. Medications are expensive. Ignorance is widespread, like the belief that the colostrum in a mother's breast milk is poisonous rather than nutritious. Superstitions persist, like drinking your own urine to cure HIV. After faith-based groups train their staff, Often NGOs will lure the best of them away with salaries four to five times what they make. The Global Fund, good as it is, can marginalize faith-based ministries, then turn around and ask for their data or for their expertise. Sister Barbara surprised us when she said that her biggest challenge combating HIV-AIDS is, quote, food and housing, end quote. A brand new Partex CD4 counter from Germany, designed to monitor an immunodeficient patient's viral load, sits idle because $80,000 worth of reagents spoiled from lack of refrigeration. Antiretrovirals are free, but no one knows whether the Global Fund will supply the next round. The government promises to prioritize electricity to hospitals and schools but meanwhile, St. Joseph's pays $1,000 a day to run its generator for 18 hours. This was my sixth trip to Africa, and I have to admit that corrupt dictators, crumbling economies, decade-long wars, famines, and disease make it easy to succumb to the pessimism exemplified in books like Martin Meredith's The Fate of Africa from the hopes of freedom to the heart of despair. But when I got home, I saw a new book by the NPR correspondent, Charlene Hunter Galt. The title of her book was New News Out of Africa, Uncovering Africa's Renaissance, Oxford 2006. It occurred to me that there is a renaissance in Liberia. You see it in huge roadside billboards around town that encourage people to get tested for HIV, to report a rape, and to discourage domestic violence. You see it when the best of the best say no to an NGO salary, when they resist brain drain, when they stay at Star of the Sea Health Clinic in the slums of Monrovia, and when the Truth and Reconciliation Committee convene the week we were there. There's a renaissance of courage, perseverance, and sacrificial service among Catholics like the ones we met, Catholic, Lutheran, Protestant, and otherwise. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 16 for this week, as each part does its work, their many works of service hold the entire country together like supporting ligaments.
So I want to say thank you, Liberia. And now for further reflection. What can believers in the rich West learn from Christians in a place like Liberia? Number two, what has been your own experience of HIV AIDS? Number three, what are the similarities and differences of the AIDS epidemic in Africa and in the West? And finally, for a good article on Liberia, see John Lee Anderson, After the Warlords, The New Yorker, March 27, 2006. For books this week, I review Identity and Violence, The Illusion of Destiny by Armatya Sen, New York, W.W. W. Norton, 2006, 215 pages. Armatya Sen, Harvard professor and winner of the 1998 Nobel Prize in Economics, still remembers the day, 63 years ago, when a Muslim day laborer named Kader Mia stumbled through the gate into his family's yard in Dhaka, Bangladesh, bleeding from knife wounds and begging for help. His father rushed Kader to the hospital, but he eventually died. Kader was a Muslim who was murdered by a Hindu thug and was but one of thousands of people who died in the Muslim-Hindu riots that erupted in British India in the 1940s. Although most of the rioters shared an economic class identity as poor people, partisans demonized each other with a lethal, singularist identity of violence. In this instance, a diminution of their humanity to their religious ethnicity. Sen writes, The illusion of a uniquely confrontational reality had thoroughly reduced human beings and eclipse the protagonist's freedom to think. You could even read Sen's new book as an exploration of this memory of his as a bewildered 11-year-old boy. Far too much violence in the world today is fomented by the illusion that people are destined to what Sen calls a sectarian singularity. Stereotype Stereotyping people with one singular identity leads to fatalism, resignation, and a sense of inevitability about violence. It partitions people and civilizations into binary oppositions. It ignores the plural ways that people understand themselves. It obscures what Sin calls our, quote, diverse diversities, end quote. In particular, he objects to the Clash of Civilizations thesis, popularized by Samuel Huntington, his colleague at Harvard. Along the way, Sen explores the implications of his thesis for multiculturalism, public policy, globalization, terrorism, anti-Western rage, democracy, and theories of culture. Sen argues against identity violence caused by the illusion of destiny in three ways. First, he appeals to our common humanity. Or, as a friend of mine put it, everyone laughs at weddings, cries at funerals, and worries about their children. 
More important than any of our external differences, even though these are powerful and important, is our shared humanity. Second, Sen makes the obvious point that all people enjoy plural identities. To understand a person fully and truly, you must consider factors of civilization, religion, nationality, class, community, culture, gender, profession, language, politics, morals, family of origin, skin color, and a multitude of other markers. Plus, these diverse differences within a single individual depend upon one's social context, whether the trait under consideration is durable over time, relevant, a factor of constraint or free choice, and so on. Third, Sen urges us to transcend the illusion of destiny and identity violence by what he calls quote-unquote reasoned choice. Instead of living as if some irrational fate destined people to confrontation with others who are different, a person needs to make a rational choice about what relative importance to attach to any single trait. Although Sen never explains why rational people succumb to the irrational violence of identity, instead of choosing enlightened self-interest, economic incentives, and geopolitical peace, his readable book, by one of the most brilliant thinkers of our day, conveys an important reminder. As Sen puts it, we can do better. Armatya Sen, Identity and Violence, The Illusion of Destiny. For film this week, I review Fun with Dick and Jane from the year 2005. If you like Jim Carrey's style of humor, then you'll probably enjoy his antics with Tia Leone, who starred as a similarly harried housewife with Nicolas Cage in the movie Family Man. Carrey and Leone play a suburban couple, Dick and Jane Harper, who fall from the penthouse to the outhouse. Dick is promoted to Vice President for Communications at Globodyne, a promotion so big that Jane quits her job. But that same afternoon, Dick realizes that he is no more than a talking head for a corporate sleazebag. When Globodyne craters, they lose everything, as do all the employees. They resort to criminal capers to survive, and in the end, exact recompense from the corrupt executives and restore the lost fortunes of the former Globodyne employees. In a delicious dig, when the credits roll at the end of the film, you read a list of people honored for quote-unquote special thanks, and then you realize that the names are real-life corporate criminals, Ken Lay, Jeffrey Skilling, Dennis Kozlowski, and so on. But there's the rub. It's somehow sad to see Carrie stuck in sophomoric slapstick and real-life people who really lost their life savings at Enron or WorldCom probably won't find the movie very funny. This film got uniformly poor reviews, but it still might be worth an evening of light laughs. Just don't expect too much. Fun with Dick and Jane, starring Jim Carrey and Tia Leone. For poetry this week, we've posted My Heart Leaps Up by William Wordsworth 
who lived from 1770 to 1850. My heart leaps up when I behold a rainbow in the sky. So was it when my life began, so is it now I am a man. So be it when I shall grow old, or let me die. The child is father of the man, and I could wish my days to be bound each to each by natural piety. My Heart Leaps Up by William Wordsworth Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, August 6, 2006. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.